Well, good morning, and welcome to Waypoint Community Church. My name is Nick Ramundo. I'm one of the pastors here. We're really glad that you've chosen to join us this morning. See, if you've been around Waypoint for a little while, the past few weeks at least, you'll have realized that we were trying to do kind of some mini-series where we talked about different aspects of our faith. Blair just did a two-week series on salvation, where at the end of that, he gave people an opportunity to accept Christ into their heart for the first time or to recommit their lives. We know that it's fall time. The summer was really busy for a lot of people. I hope that you're finding schedules and routines that work well for your family, and it may have been the time that you needed to just kind of put a stake in the ground and say, you know what? I'm gonna commit myself again to the Lord. And a lot of people made that decision. And so we've been praying for you that have made that decision and we hope that things are going well. But then last week, we did another aspect of our faith. We talked about baptism. Now we did not do a baptism service, we just were explaining what baptism means to Waypoint, why you should consider doing it. What we think God intended by doing the baptism that we celebrate at Waypoint, because next week we are gonna have a baptism service, and we would love for you to join us in that and celebrating people who are making that decision. But if that's something you'd like to do, that's next week. This week, we're gonna talk about another aspect of our faith, and I think they all kind of build together. Salvation, baptism, and then communion. This is Communion Sunday. We choose to do this, take communion about four times a year. We try and do it at a kind of a schedule that it doesn't become so routine that you're used to it or so far apart that you're like, man, when is it gonna happen again? We've chosen four times a year and this is one of those. And so we're really glad that you're here. And at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to take communion if that's something you would choose to do. And if you have put a stake in the ground and said, I am choosing to follow Christ, I'm gonna get back to it, I'm gonna start focusing on him. I think this would be a great opportunity for you to have a special moment with God and take communion at the end of the service. However, if you know Waypoint, you know that we try and do things a little bit different around here. So when we do Christmas Eve early services, we are gonna talk about the Christmas story, but we're gonna present it from a different perspective or an interesting way. Or when we do an Easter service, we try and take a different point of view or look at that story. One of the reasons we choose to do that is because we know there are a lot of things that Christians and non-Christians know about the Christian faith and a lot of stories that we know. And so as soon as you come in and you see that it's gonna be a Christmas story, an Easter their service or communion, you might start to check out and think, oh, I know where we're going. And so we try and create a new perspective so that the Holy Spirit can reveal something in you different that maybe you haven't experienced before. So today, we are going to take communion, but we're also going to talk about another aspect that was going on during the Last Supper. See, the Last Supper is when communion happened. And I would encourage you, if you haven't read the different gospel, gospels accounts for the Last Supper, I would encourage you to write these down. I'm gonna have them up on the screen. And these are the different verses, they're chapters that you can find the Last Supper in. They're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is definitely the most detailed. But if you could go ahead and put that slide up there. And if you wanted to write that down, that's where you would find it. And there was a whole bunch of stuff going on around the Last Supper. One of those aspects was communion. And today, we only have enough time to talk about another aspect that was happening. But I think they are very relevant to each other, and they work hand in hand. And truthfully, if you're going to accept communion for what it is meant to be, 
then you better be ready to accept the other challenge that Jesus gave the disciples at the Last Supper. And that's what we're going to talk about. But before we get there, I want to share three facts that I found about communion as I was researching this week and planning for this Sunday. I came across some interesting facts, and I thought, well, I'll go ahead and share them. Maybe you'll think they're interesting. Maybe you'll think they're boring. I don't know, but I'll share them anyways. The first thing that I came across was the furthest place that communion took place from us here on Earth was the moon. Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong decided that when they landed on the moon, they were going to take communion. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Yeah, right. In order for us to take communion on the moon, that means we had to land on the moon. And there could be some conspiracy theorists out there. That's okay. You have the right to believe that. I'm not going to say anything against you. But assuming that we landed on the moon, one of the things that Buzz Aldrin wanted to make sure he did was take communion. So he talked to NASA. He talked to his church. And before he left, he got a special cup, some wine, and some bread that he was going to take communion with. When they landed on the moon, before they did the spacewalk, before they recorded any information, Buzz Aldrin asked the, um, Houston, could we take a moment of silence? And all of Americans in the world that is watching have an opportunity to reflect on what this moment means and how it's going to impact history from this point forward. NASA granted him permission. They went black. That means they just kind of cut all communications, and Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong went ahead and took communion. Now, the interesting thing about this is Buzz Aldrin really wanted to do it over the air so that everybody would hear it. However, NASA got into a little bit of trouble when the Apollo 8 mission was going on a little bit earlier. When the Apollo 8 mission was orbiting around the Earth, the astronauts on that expedition decided to read Genesis 1, verses 1 through 20. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth. And people had a problem with that. They felt like, you know what? This is a space program. This isn't church. This isn't religion. They should be separate. So NASA said, Buzz, you can go ahead and take communion, but you have to do it in private. And so he went ahead and did that, and that was a pretty big aspect of the... Of the moon expedition. And I think it's cool to think about some of the first elements happening on the moon were communion. Another fact that I found that I thought was kind of interesting, because it has to do with a lot of people today, or it might not be a lot, but some of you, we at least all know somebody who struggles with gluten. And so this gluten issue has come up with different denominations and different sects of our faith. Because some people feel like, if we're going to take communion, you have to take communion at the purest form, with no unleavened bread, meaning no rising agents. It has to be yeast. It has to be wheat. It has to be the stuff that we know Jesus would have used. And the wine needs to have the same alcohol content and be created the same way. And so they've held strictly to that tradition. And then other churches have come along and said, you know what? We don't really believe in drinking, and we think that alcohol can create problems in people's lives, and so we don't want to bring that into the church when we know that it can alter our minds or, or people may be struggling with alcoholism, so we're going to do a juice as a substitute. And then other churches that would probably align most with what Waypoint believes is it's not really about the bread and the ingredients in the bread or the wine or the juice. It's more about your heart and your attitude when you meet God or when you meet Jesus in that space and when you take it and you remember what communion is truly about. But a certain sect of Christianity has made a decision in June to send out a press release to all of their other churches saying that if you want to do communion, you must 
use gluten and the, and the ingredients that Jesus would have used. And it's created a huge problem because there are people that have gluten issues and so they struggle with taking gluten. And so they have to decide, am I going to eat this and possibly be sick or allow my body to be damaged or react however it does to gluten, or do I not take it? And the biggest issue is with this kind of group, they link a little bit of salvation to communion. And so people are concerned, if I don't take communion, when I meet Jesus, what is eternity going to look like for me? And so they're wrestling with some really tough decisions. And what I think is interesting about this is something that Jesus intended to be a picture of his service and sacrifice to us has become an issue in people's lives. And I think it's kind of... It's kind of normal to think about the church messing something up that Jesus intended to be a beautiful picture because we're humans and we do a good job at that. And so that was the second fact that I found. The third fact is probably my favorite. There was a pastor, and he was a Methodist pastor in the late 1800s, and he was also a dentist and a pediatrician. So he was a busy dude, and he had a lot going on in life. And as he was giving communion, he started to get tired of people kind of hitting back on the communion juice a little too much at the church picnic afterwards. And so it started to get a little awkward and weird when people were acting differently. And so he said, no more. I'm going to find a non-alcoholic substitute that is created the exact same way that Jesus would have done it or that it would have been done in Jesus' time, and it just won't ferment and become alcoholic. And so he thought that he found the perfect product. He sent it out to a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of churches, and he didn't get a huge response and so he was kind of frustrated, but he just gave up on that idea until 1893. His son comes along, and his son says, you know what? He followed in his dad's footsteps. He was also a dentist, had a good practice, but he was ready to kind of take this juice to the next level. He felt like he could make a run at it and make it go. And so his dad said, listen, son, I tried this. It doesn't work. Why are you going to give up a lucrative practice you're providing for your family to try and chase a dream that's not going to work? But you're your own man, make your own decision. And so the son decides to continue with it. He takes the juice to the World Fair in Chicago. He starts to send out samples all over the world and all over the country, and people love it. Not just churches, but people want it in their house. And so he has to move his manufacturing from New Jersey to New York and open up an even bigger plant. And they get demand to create new juices and new jams and new jellies. And Welch's grape juice was created because of communion. I think it's incredible. A multi-million dollar company started because a minister was tired of people enjoying the communion juice too much. And so I think it's a pretty cool story. How communion comes into our lives and impacts each and every one of us differently, whether we even realize it or not, that there, it, it plays a role in our life. And so today we're going to talk about that role that it plays in our life, especially in a spiritual sense. But we're not just going to talk about that. I want to introduce another aspect that was happening at the exact same time that Jesus was going to give communion. But it was something that I can't really introduce here, so I had to go off-site and shoot a quick video that would introduce this idea and help you understand a picture that Jesus was painting for the disciples. So if you would, check out the screen, and then we're going to talk about it. Well, hello again. Well, here we are, outside of a school. I wanted to bring you here to paint a picture that Jesus was trying to paint when he was talking to the disciples at the Last Supper. See, during the communion story, there was a lot going on. But since we didn't live in their culture and we're not from their time, sometimes we miss the pictures that Jesus was painting. 
So today we're going to talk about two different aspects, but to really drive one of those points home, we needed to go offsite. And so if you hang with me, I want to use this school setting to paint a picture that I think could change the way that you live your life or the way that you think of the Last Supper. So in a second, we're going to go inside and check some things out. All right, here we are in the bathroom of a local middle school, and I want to use this setting to paint a picture. I want to take you back to where Jesus was when he was having the Last Supper with his disciples. See, there were some pretty big pictures that Jesus was painting during this meal, pictures that we might not capture or understand because they were different than you and I's culture today. But in the middle of their meal, what Jesus did was he stood up, removed the outer clothing, and started to fill a basin of water and wash the disciples' feet. Now, this would not have seemed weird in that setting. What you have to understand is when you would go over to somebody's house to have a meal, it would typically be the slave's job or the servant's job to wash the feet of the guest. So what they would do is they would use this basin and their clothing to wash their feet. But what was unique about this situation was Jesus himself was willing to do this. And he was doing it because he wanted to paint a clear picture to his disciples. And as he was washing the disciples' feet, he gets to Peter. And Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. But Jesus says, listen, you don't understand. I have to wash your feet. And Peter responds and says, if you're going to wash my feet, then you have to wash my hands and my head. Instantly, what that would have resembled was Peter was saying to Jesus, Jesus, if you're going to cleanse me, then you have to cleanse my whole body. See, it was normal practice for a Jewish person to make sure that they were completely cleansed before they would go in the presence of God. And so they had some ritualistic things that they would do to do some spiritual cleansings. So Peter was asking Jesus, saying, listen, Jesus, I know that you're the Messiah of the world. Don't just clean my feet. Clean me perfect so I can be presentable in front of the Savior of the world. But Jesus doesn't do that. See, what Peter was wanting was Jesus to do more of a ceremonial washing. And this is something that the Jewish people still do today. If you were to go to Israel, you would see sinks very similar to this. And next to the sink, there would be a little cup. Now, it wouldn't be a mug, but it would be for people to wash their hands before a meal. And typically, it would look like them filling up the basin, just like Jesus was filling up his basin. And once it was full of water, they would then take it in their left hand and pour it over their right hand and let water, the sin and dirtiness run off of their hand. And this hand would be clean. Now, if at any time the water hit the cup and then back onto their hands or hit the sink and then on their hands, they would have to do it again to make sure that their hand was completely clean. Once your right hand was done, then it would be time to cleanse your left hand. But the right hand can't touch any part of the mug or allow any water splatter from the left hand to hit it, or you have to start the whole process over again. So you let the water run over your hand, but you make sure and keep a little bit of water left in that hand. So when your right hand sets the basin down, you can rinse your hands off and make sure that you are perfectly clean. 
And as long as you don't touch anything through that process, then you are considered ready to eat the holy bread or the meal that you're going to be having. So what Peter was saying was, Jesus, cleanse me and make me perfect so I can stand in the presence of the Messiah. And what Jesus said was, listen, Peter, you're missing the picture. What I'm going to do for you is sacrifice my life. See, all that you need is to allow me to wash your feet. Allow me to die on the cross for you and believe that I am the Messiah, Savior of the world, and that's all you need. The sacrifices that you used to have to do that we read about in the Old Testament, the ritual cleansing, all that is done. What I am doing and what I've come to do is enough if you can believe it and accept it for yourself. But Jesus wasn't just painting a picture of him being the ultimate sacrifice. He was also setting a standard of once you believe in me, then you need to do something about it. And what you need to do is serve the lowest of the lows. See, Jesus took himself, the Messiah of the world, and was washing the feet, something that a servant would do. And that is why we're in the bathroom at a local middle school. I was trying to think of what would represent a pretty gross or low position in our world today. And what came to mind was a middle school. Listen, I love middle school kids. That's where I wanted to start. My ministry was with the middle school students, but I think they get a bad rap. They're at a weird stage. They're not the cute elementary kid anymore and they're not a mature high schooler they're trying to figure things out and I think the world sometimes just disregards them as a little bit of a goofy group of people that are going through a lot of life changes and so here I am today to demonstrate what it would mean in today's society or culture to wash the feet of the disciples all right so here we are Something in our culture that is considered gross and disgusting. Something that we use to get rid of a bunch of waste in our body. Um, and I'm here to clean it, just like Jesus cleaned the disciples' feet. Because what Jesus is calling us to do is if we believe he is the Messiah of the world, then we need to get down and serve people that are below us. And sometimes it means we've got to get in the grossest situations and clean some of the grossest things out there. All right, so I wanted to kind of try and paint a picture of serving and getting out of your comfort zone and going into a place that maybe you're not comfortable with, maybe you don't enjoy, and being able to serve there. And so that's why I chose to go to middle school restroom and to clean the toilet there. However, I understand what most of you are probably thinking, and it's the same thing that I would be thinking. Nick, do you understand... I have a business, I have coworkers, I have employees. I'm responsible for keeping them busy. I'm busy at work all day long. When I get home, I wanna spend a little bit of time with my family before I have to get back at it. How in the world do you expect me to find time to go out and serve? Or maybe you're saying, Nick, I'm a student. We got sports, we have part-time jobs, we have choir, band. When we have time, we want to hang out with friends. We want to hang out with each other. We're not going, other than in middle school when we have to do so many community service hours, we're not going to the food pantry to serve all the time. We want to enjoy each other. Or maybe you're saying, 
I'm a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad. I love my kids. But by the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is go out and serve other people. I want to just relax and check out. Or maybe you're a teacher and you're thinking, hey, I'm busy all day teaching students. And then at the end of the day, I have to lesson plan and get ready for the next day. And the little bit of time that I have after I do household chores and household requirements is go out and serve. I want to just kind of surf Netflix, or I'm sorry, Instagram and Facebook and just kind of check out for a minute and let my brain relax. Or maybe you work in manufacturing industry and you get up early and you work really hard and by the end of the day your body's tired and you don't really feel like going out and serving. And I think that that is completely normal because we're all incredibly busy. But if we're gonna accept communion, then we have to accept the challenge that Jesus gave us of serving others. But what I think is incredibly interesting is if you look at the picture Jesus was painting or illustrating to the disciples, he wasn't going out and serving the whole community at the Last Supper. He was serving the people that were around him, the people that had bought into him, understood the mission, and loved him. Now, yes, there are times where he did go out and serve many people. A lot of his ministry was out in the community, and a lot of our ministry should be out in the community. However, if you want to start serving, you should start serving the people around you. So, so let me just ask you, how are you doing serving your family? Does your, does your wife feel loved and cared for? Are you showing her that she's one of the most important people in your life? If I had to be honest with you, I could tell you there's plenty of times that Amanda doesn't feel that way because by the time I get through the busyness of the day and deal with all the stuff that the day has, she's just getting my leftovers. And she's just getting kind of my frustrations because she knows who I am. She loves me and cares about me and she knows that I love her and care about her. But sometimes it doesn't come out in the most healthy ways. What about your husband? Does he know that he's cared about? Are you serving him? Are you going out of your way to, to spend time with each other, express common interests with one another? What about your kids? Do they feel valued? Do they feel like they matter to the family? Have you invited them into big decisions or at least made them feel like their opinion counts? What about your parents? Kids, students, are you showing your parents that you love them? Are you talking to them in a way that honors them, in a way that you know God wants them to? What about your neighbors, people that you know and care about? Are you taking the time to say hello to them, ask them how their day's going, or are we just getting caught up in the busyness? Because I think two aspects that were going on in the Last Supper, one being communion, communion and the other one being serving, means that we've got to get out there and serve. And it starts in our homes. And I'm the biggest guilty culprit of this. I don't do a good job of this. And so I'm right there with you. But maybe today, it's a time for you to reflect on someone in your life that maybe you should start talking to a little bit differently. Maybe you should treat different. Maybe you should start serving the people around you that love you and care about you so that they can see Jesus shining through you just like Jesus came and served us. And if you had your Bibles with you, I want to read one verse. It's in John chapter 13, verse 21. This is one of the coolest pictures I think about serving. Jesus was talking to the disciples and he said, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, 
Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now, we know that the person that betrayed him was Judas because we know what the story is. And I think it's really interesting and unique that even though Judas was going to betray Jesus, Jesus chose to spend his last meal to wash Judas' feet, to stay there and serve him. I can't imagine serving somebody that I know is gonna turn me in and be one of the reasons that I'm gonna be crucified on the cross. But as I was reflecting on that this week, I started to think about that verse, and I thought it could have easily said, very truly I tell you, Nick, you are gonna betray me. Nick, you're gonna live your life outside of the boundaries that I set up for you. You're gonna make your own decisions, and you're gonna sin. And I'm still coming, and I'm still dying for you. I know that you're messed up. I know that you're broken. I know that you have disgustingness inside of your life, but I'm still coming for you because you matter and because I care about you. And the truth is, each and every one of you could say that today. Now I know that Satan loves to make us feel alone and by ourselves and isolated and like we're the only ones that have sin in our life, but the truth is the world is a broken place. I hear over and over again people saying this, why in the world would I go to church? Do you see it's a place full of hypocrites, people that argue, people that are judgmental, people that gossip. There's no way that I would ever go to church. They don't even live the lifestyle that Jesus modeled. But the truth is, if you're looking for a perfect place to go, a place that doesn't have hypocrisy, you'll never find it. It's the world we live in because we are a broken mess and we just try and pursue after Christ little by little. But let me tell you, I am up here today and I am saying in front of you that I struggle with this. It's a daily battle to die to yourself and pick up your cross. Anxiety, anger, my thought life, these are all different things that I deal with and struggle with and I have to make a conscious choice. Am I gonna choose Jesus and what he did for me on the cross or am I gonna choose myself? And so I hope that when you reflect on communion here in a few moments, that you reflect on your life and are you choosing Jesus? Are you choosing the grace that he gives? And even though he gives a whole bunch of grace, it's still a hard life to follow. I know that. It's a daily choice that you have to make. But is it something that you're willing to make and continue pursuing after? And if it is, then you also have to ask yourself, how are you serving those around you? Are you serving your family? Because it's not a one or the other. These two things go hand in hand. Christ died for you and he is, wants to offer salvation to you. And if you accept that salvation, then you need to go out and show others who Christ is. And it starts with your family. So I'm gonna ask the band to come up here and also the couples that I asked to help serve communion. And here in a moment, you're gonna have an opportunity to take communion and to um, reflect on your life. But what I wanna give you is two challenges to think about while you're taking communion. The first thing that I want you to think about is how are you serving your family? Is there somebody that you need to go make the relationship right with? Is there somebody that you just need to say, hey, I've been giving you my leftovers. It's time for me to check back into this relationship. I wanna be a part of this because you matter to me. And that's the first thing I want you to reflect on. The second thing that I would like you to reflect on is, <coughs> excuse me, what does Jesus dying on the cross mean to you? 
What do you think of when you reflect on as a disgusting sinner, somebody who lives in a lost world, Christ came and died for you? What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna serve communion to the band and to the people that are gonna help serve you communion. After that, I'm gonna come back up and give you a few more instructions. But before then, I would ask that you reflect on those two challenges. How are you serving others and what does Christ dying on the cross mean to you? Go ahead and take a moment and reflect on those.